reason why I was reminded about the riches of his grace and the lavishing of it today, next slide, is because of this word. As I moved around and encouraged fifth graders and talked to teachers and knelt down to some kids that I know are rarely ever affirmed, uh, I realized something today that I was so stirred by the reality that for a few brief moments in time, many of these fifth graders were not preoccupied with themselves. And then I realized that when we find ourselves not preoccupied with ourselves, there's something that happens when we watch others not be preoccupied with themselves. And preoccupied literally meaning absorbed. When we watch others not be absorbed with themselves, there's something that happens in us. And so I just, I like stood back several times today watching the same scene that you just saw. So richly encouraged as God's grace continues to show people that there is a way out of themselves. And that is the message tonight and every single week. There is a way outside of yourself. It's the answer we all need. It's the thing we're all looking for. And at the end of the day, it, please hear me, is only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The only way we cannot be absorbed with ourselves comes in Christ. And so tonight, as we pick up in the longest run-on sentence in seemingly like the history of man in this early part of Ephesians, we're going to learn what it means to be, uh, to be preoccupied or absorbed with something else. So to do that, let's pick up next slide where we left off last week in the, in the second week of Ephesians. Here was the beginning of the long run-on sentence that we studied last week. Blessed be the God, and another way of saying blessed was praise. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, remember verse 4, next slide, we saw this last week, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will, and I hope you left richly encouraged to see in these verses, which are often troubling, Instead, your eyes and heart being drawn to the fact that God has done this in love, that he's adopted us, that once he's adopted us, pulling the orphans off the street, he will never, ever, ever kick us to the curb. Then we saw finally, next slide, this in verses 6 to 8. To the praise, Paul says, of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. In other words, we've been purchased through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And the image of lavishing is not the table side scraps or the seconds, but the lavishing is the opening of the faucet of his grace on us all. So let's pick up in this long run on sentence with no commas or exclamation points or periods in the Greek. Here in verse 9. You guys ready? Check this out. Because of all this, he's making known to us, verse 9 says, the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. He's making known to us the mystery of his will. 
Uh, when you guys were kids, did you guys have like a security blanket or like an like a animal that you like took around with you? Did you guys have this? Okay. Uh, my kids all had something different. Uh, Avery had this little dog that we gave her when she was young called Max because uh, we knew she would never have a real one. And so she like traveled around with it and that was really cool. And Dawson and Maddox uh, both had something as well. I've, I've been a little bit uh, discouraged recently because my wife found Maddox's old blanket and I found it in his bed the other day, right? And my son's six. I'm like, bro, come on. I think, like, I think it's time to give it up. Well, I, I had a security blanket myself. Um, and you guys know, like, it's called security blanket for a reason because when you're with it, you feel so secure. You know what I'm saying? Like... I remember just being a kid, like, just wrapped up in it. Like, I would nuzzle in it. I couldn't sleep without it. And then one day, uh, my mom came to me, and she said, Mark, um, uh, the dryer ate your blanket. (laughs) Right? And so, seriously, I went down to the dryer, right? And I'm like, I, like, opened it up. And I literally get halfway in it. And I'm trying to figure out how in the world this could have possibly happened, right? This is no joke. I spend several months trying to figure out this mystery. I'm not seeing gaps or holes or teeth in the dryer, right? Like, mom says that the dryer ate it. Like, I, I was young and slightly naive, certainly, but I'm like, how, how did this happen? <laughs> and then one day, my mom sat me down to have the talk, and... Um, in this case, the talk was about the blanket, right? You guys all thought I was talking about something else. And, um, hey, Mark, I just have something to confess to you. I don't remember exactly how old I was. Uh, this was last year. And, um, uh, Mark, you know how, like, you know how the blanket thing was like a mystery? Like you were really trying to figure that out? Yeah, uh, the blanket wasn't eaten by the dryer, I was just tired of you having it, you know, and you were getting to the age where it was getting a little bit embarrassing, and so uh, I, just, I just stuffed it away, and um, I remember in that moment, there was like this twofold part of me. I was like unbelievably thankful that the mystery was solved, right, and then there was this other piece that kind of wanted to tackle my mom, in love, of course, right, but you guys know, when there's a mystery that's figured out, that's seen, that's realized, there's some power in it. It's why we're so obsessed with CSI. You guys remember CSI Miami back in the day? Horatio, the red hair, you guys remember? Like always the glasses, always the glasses. I love that show because at the end, there was always a mystery that was solved. Well, the mystery that is verse 9 is the reality of Christ. Let's read verse 9 again in light of that. Making known to us is God the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ. In other words, the mystery of his will is what are you doing, God? The Israelites, assuredly, many times in the Old Testament, wondering, God, what are you doing? Questioning him, doubting him, wondering Like, when is the Savior, when is, as they would say, the Messiah going to come, God? What are you doing? And then all of a sudden, in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in Colossians, He is the image of the invisible God. All of a sudden, the mystery of of His will 
is revealed in the person of Christ. All of creation had been groaning for it. And God unveils precisely who He is in the character of Christ. That's why I hope when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read the red letters, which in Scripture is where Jesus was talking, and you see the stories, and you watch when He heals, and you see when He approaches the leper, and you just get engulfed in the character of Christ. I pray you're brought to worship because you're seeing God. You're seeing the compassion of God. You're seeing in Christ the mercy of God. In Christ you are seeing the approach of God, the pursuit of God. You're seeing the character of God in Christ. And this mystery is set forth in Christ. Unbelievable verse 10. Look at this. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. I have to be honest that as I read this verse over and over and over, the part that was in between the man-made commas grabbed me and like pulled me in. Have you ever had that when you read the word? It like, like all of a sudden like has an arm and like pulls your face in. And the word unite grabbed me. Here's why. Next slide. Next slide if you can. Why does everything seem so divided? The word unite grabbed me because it feels like when I wake up some mornings, maybe you're like me, it's like I'm just waiting for something else to divide. I'm just waiting at times for someone else to be mad at me, for some relational strife, for you know, someone in traffic to get angry, for someone to have a differing view. Does anyone else here feel like your entire life is just waiting for another divide? It's the way I feel. And because of that, it creates this like level of hesitancy. I think it creates so much hesitancy, at least for me at times, that I begin to live cautiously. I want to make sure all of us are on the same page. For no reason does the scripture ever say, and now you shall live cautiously. Because of these fears, go ahead and pull back and live life on your heels. There's never a place. But I'm confessing to you that my fear of divide, my fear of division, my fear of not being liked, my insecurities have created a hesitancy in me. Have they ever in you? What I'm saying is I need hope in this area. Anyone else? I need hope. And the scripture provides this hope. Here, next slide. Beautiful, beautiful quote by John Stott, who is a theologian. Listen to what he says. In the fullness of time, God's two creations, his whole universe and his whole church will be what? What's the word? Come on. Unified under the cosmic Christ who is supreme head of both. In other words, next slide, what verse 10 is saying is as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth, what Paul is doing is he is saying in verse 10, everything in Christ will be reunited to himself. And when he comes back, 
and it is all reunited, I just want to make sure that we all understand something. It will never be undone again. It was undone in the garden. The unity of God and man, undone. The plan of redemption, the purchase through the blood of Christ happens. And in his return, his two creations, the whole of the universe and his church, they will be reunited to the person of Christ to never be undone again. There will be nothing the enemy can do. There will be nothing sin can do. There will be nothing hatred can do. They will never, ever, ever be broken again, church. Are we together tonight? This is a phenomenal hope in the face of much division. So what does that mean for us now? Well, what it means for us now is that the fears of division can be thwarted by the hope of what we have in the unification of Christ. And so maybe my fears of that person not liking me or what that person said or a differing viewpoint that creates hesitancy Maybe tonight, the response from me and maybe for you. My hope is in the eternal ability of Jesus to unite all things, which means, listen to this please, that as an ambassador of him, one of the primary ways that we as the body of Christ show who Christ is, is our unity. Do you guys see this? The ways we pursue reconciliation when someone has wronged us. The ways that we seek to battle through the walls of division and pursue with our brothers and sisters in Christ, unity. Unity is one of the primary ways as ambassadors of Christ we show who Jesus is. One day we get to say in our life, all of this will be completely unified in Christ. And for now, we can celebrate the works of what he is doing. Unity is an unbelievable thing. And then verse 11 says, In him we have obtained, and what's the word there? An inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according, check this out, to the counsel of his will. Now certainly, next slide, this phrase, this phrase, is so luring and so vital to this verse. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. And so it got me thinking about how we chase after other forms of inheritance. Um, You guys know, like when you start thinking about the word chase, um, did some of you guys grow up with Tom and Jerry? Did some of you guys grow up with Tom and Jerry? You guys know? I was, I was reminded of Tom and Jerry. Maddox, my son, has never, ever seen an episode of Tom and Jerry, okay? Well, we were at Pizza Hut in Newtown uh, over the weekend, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at Maddox, and talking about preoccupied, like, homeboy was just, like, looking at the sky. I didn't know there was a TV there, but he was just, like, looking at the sky, right? And I'm, like, like looking, like, you know, I'm, like, waving my arms, and I turned to the TV, and in that moment, I understood my son was being introduced to Tom and Jerry, you know, like this was his moment, you know? I mean, he was so enamored, right? Like old school graphics, old school animation. And then all of a sudden, like, we're both like, you know, like I'm like brought back. 
I'm getting teary-eyed, you know? I'm like, thank you. But you guys know, like, the, the, whole, the whole premise of Tom and Jerry is just this constant chase, this never-ending chase. And so many of us in this never-ending seems like, feels like awe-inspiring chase after other inheritances. Next slide. Let's say it this way. Are you working tirelessly towards more money? The scripture says in verse 11 that in him we have an inheritance. I'm just wondering, are you working tirelessly for the dollar? What I've learned about the dollar is it puts a big noose around your neck and the pursuit of it dictates your every thought. There have been times where I've been driven by the dollar. I would uh, say that some of those times have been for right reason, trying to provide for my family, trying to pay off debt that I had made mistakes for, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll tell you what, what the dollar does. Going after that inheritance, believing that it has something for me, it puts you on a noose and feels like you will never, ever let go. One of the greatest lessons that those of you who are 18 to 22, 23, 24 could learn right now is the dollar has nothing for you. I'll take it from some of the 50, 60, 70 year olds in this room. Can I just get an amen from the season? The dollar has nothing for you. Can I get an amen? Like it, it has nothing for you. It promises you everything. Listen, 10 more of these and then life will begin. A hundred more of these and then you can get that. And then you get that and you realize that doesn't fulfill. And so then you say, okay, a thousand more of those then must be the answer. Some of you, unfortunately, unless you wake up, will spend the rest of your life chasing an inheritance that does not fulfill. I'm asking, next slide, are you working tirelessly towards more notoriety? Now, we're, we're really, really shrewd about this as Christians. We figured out the way. We've played the game right. Uh, we say things like, oh, we're, we're just really, really humble in the Lord, and I want you to see that I'm humble because then you'll give me notoriety and call me humble because I've said it a lot, right? We figure out like all these backdoor ways to gain notoriety, but it'd be notoriety in, in Christ. We serve when others are watching because we want to be noticed. We extend the hand of mercy when if we don't, man, it's going to come back to bite us. What I've learned about the pursuit of more notoriety and essentially trying to steal it or take it away from Christ, which by the way, will never work. Because if we don't cry out, the scripture says the rocks will. The pursuit of more notoriety is like a hammer that just constantly beats you down. Why? Because you're never, ever, ever enough. You're never enough. There will never be a point in your pursuit of notoriety where you say, and now I am who I always wanted to be. It's just one more day of, I'm still not there. I'm still not there. I need tomorrow, I'll work harder. Tomorrow, then this person will see me, and then all of a sudden, I will have arrived. You know who have struggled pursuing notoriety. It never, ever opens the present that you thought it would provide. I'm wondering, next slide, if you're working tirelessly in the pursuit of the inheritance of more control. 
Control for you is the inheritance. Control for you is the thing that provides. If I can call the shots, if I can form up my life, you know you have a control idol when if things don't go your way, I mean things go to hell in a handbasket quickly. You throw your hands up in the air, I mean life is over that day. And what I've learned about the pursuit of control is you think you're in a tug of war with the sovereign God and there's like a slight chuckle from the sovereign God who cannot be battled with. You guys understand what I'm saying? It's like putting, you know, like all the strongest men on one side of the rope and like a preschooler on the other side. Like it just, it's not going to work. Lastly, I'm wondering in the pursuit of other inheritances, are you working tirelessly towards more comfort? Is anyone else ready to live life completely apart from indulgence? It's tough for us to see it because everything around us is indulge. Here, have more. Indulge more. That, it's it's going to give you everything that you thought it would. Well, the thing about all four of these things, and a Paul's point in verse 11, next slide, I just want to make sure we all see it. Look at this. Is we already have. In him, we have obtained what? And what? An inheritance. It's already been given us. Why pursue more comfort when the king of the universe has said here, I've given you everything. I gave myself up for you. I gave you the keys to the kingdom. I called you a son and a daughter. Why in the world would you still chase the dollar when I've given you the one inheritance that won't crumble and fall and could be blown away by the wind? What are you doing, people? I feel like the Savior would say. I've already given you everything you could ever want. Taste and see, the psalmist says, right? In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel, the good counsel, the beautiful counsel of his will. Verse 12, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now, real quick on verse 12, he's alluding to the, the Jews having uh, understood, even potentially seen the first fruits of Christ so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then verse 13, hello. In him, you also, the Gentiles, the Jews and Gentiles, the gospel is for everyone. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, hello, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Let's deal next slide with this first. Many people ask me all the time, Mark, what does it mean to be saved? Hear and believe. The scripture says, confess with your mouth. We hear the gospel and we believe in the gospel. What James uh, chapter 2 says, faith without works is dead. So our belief is shown by how we live. In other words, you can say you believe all you want, but if your works don't match it, that says you don't believe it. Are we together? Okay? So we hear and we believe. Uh, let's, let's just hang on hearing for a second. 
If we need to hear the gospel, then what does that mean for us as ambassadors, my friends? Anyone? You guys understand what I'm saying? If we need to hear the gospel, it means we're the ambassadors to speak the gospel. Listen, did any of you, I'm just wondering, did any of you come to Christ from not hearing the gospel? Now, some of you, maybe, yes, that was reading the word on your own. Praise the Lord. But did anyone in here, like, just come to Christ because, like, all of a sudden, no, you, you heard the gospel. Yes, it could have been from the word. It could have been the Lord prompting you or speaking, speaking like words over you. But all of us heard. We heard. We heard, and then we believed. But then all of a sudden, next slide, something happens here. Sealed. Now, when I first uh, think of sealed, uh, do you guys know, uh, like, the difference between the actual Ziploc, like, plastic bag and the Aldi's version? Do you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like, when I get an actual Ziploc, that's the brand, right? Like, the, the Ziploc is the brand. When I get an actual Ziploc and I put a couple pieces of pizza in there every once in a while, I rarely eat pizza, but when I do, okay, and I keep some leftover, not sure why you're laughing, that hurts my feelings, and I, I, I zip it up, it's like flawless, right? Like, I mean, this thing is sealed. It's good to go, right? Beautiful. Then I get the Aldi's brand, right? Listen, in general, I love Aldi's, so please do not hear me hating on Aldi's at all. We have a couple of Aldi's employees here tonight, praise the Lord. Anyway, they haven't figured out the Ziploc thing, though, yet, right? You get the Aldi's version, you're like, da-da-da, you know, a little, you're like, wait, get, you know, and you like start, you're like, what in the world, right? And then you, then you go, like, maybe this is just a bad bag, right? And then you go to the next one, and it's just like this so unbelievably frustrating when it could have just been nice and easy with the right brand, honey. Spend a buck more next time, right? Now, when I think of the word sealed, that's the first thing I think of, like an envelope closing. And that certainly has some connotation here, but I'm so thankful at the body of Matthias that we have a resident Greek scholar in Pastor Jared. And so when I need some Greek help, I say, Pastor Jared, could you please help me and the body understand what this word means? And this is what he sent me. Next slide. The word sealed. So regizo, it means here that we are owned by God and authentically his. This word shows up 15 times in the New Testament. Interesting to note, half of those come in Revelation. So the word sealed here means we are owned by God. We could say bought for a price. We could say heirs, his kids, adopted. All of this theme were sealed. Now, what are we sealed through? Well, the scripture says that we're sealed with the promised holy what? Come on. Holy Spirit. So, guys, this, like, all of a sudden my heart started racing. And I started processing through all of the things that I feel like you and I battle with when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And I want right now for every single person, no matter how you grew up, no matter, no matter what your perspective is on the Holy Spirit, I want you to understand the beauty and the essence of what Paul is telling this church in Ephesus. Who battles? Who battles with the spiritual realm? Do you understand? I mean, they're dabbling in the occult, worshiping very polytheistic understandings of God. Paul is trying to completely reshape their perspective on the spiritual world. You hear, you believe, we could say confess with your mouth that he is Lord, and then God does something. He seals you with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus had some really, really awesome things to say about the Holy Spirit. 
check this out. Next slide. John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, says Jesus. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, check this out, forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for what? He dwells with you and will be, what's the word there? In you. So the sealing only comes through Christ and is only given to believers and is put in us. So when God says, you are mine, we hear, we believe, he seals. What Jesus says is as God gives that, he literally puts the spirit in us. And then something unbelievably powerful happens. Look at what he says a little bit later. Next slide. John chapter 14, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, isn't that a great word for the Holy Spirit? The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance that I have said to you. He will teach you all things. That's a pretty bold statement that Jesus makes. Amen? I mean, incredibly bold, but maybe not as bold as this. Check this out. Next slide, John 16. I love this conversation with the disciples. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now, right? It's like ultimate cliffhanger, right? What are those things, Jesus? Like, please tell us the truth. No, not now. But when the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14 is the pinnacle passage of understanding the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me, says Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What God does in giving his saints the Holy Spirit or the helper is he puts something inside of us himself whose work as the spirit of truth is to glorify Christ. The role of the Holy Spirit is to take people who believe in God to Christ. That is the role of the helper. And so now all of a sudden when verse 13 says, whoa, 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 if you've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, then that must have unbelievable implications. And it certainly does. Especially on this. Next slide. All right, so... um, Maybe uh, when some of you were growing up, or even still today, someone will say, hey, how's your walk? And if you're a brand new Christian, you're like, um, I, I don't know, I got like 7,000 steps today. You know, like, I don't know, like, my doing pretty good. Right? We like have a language. And what we mean is, are you staying in step with the Spirit? Are you walking with the Lord? Now, I know you can see the screen, and I know you can start to perceive and understand what Paul is saying, but I just want you to see this with me. But I say walk by the Spirit 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, we just learned, because Jesus said it, that what the Holy Spirit does in us is it takes us to the person of Christ. And we just saw Paul say that when you hear and believe that what God does is he says, you're mine. And he shows that we're, we're his by literally putting the Holy Spirit in a sealing us with the Holy Spirit. So now are all the synapses starting to connect a little bit? You have inside of you as a believer, I have inside of me as a believer, the Holy Spirit, which is constantly taking us to Christ. So then why in the world does it feel, seem, appear that our walk is often just gratifying the desires of the flesh? Do you guys understand? We have inside of us sealed with the Holy Spirit whose literal role is to minute by minute until Christ comes back, glorify Christ in us. And that's why Paul says, well, if you walk by the Spirit, you'll not gratify the, desire, the desires of the flesh. Next slide. Which is why at the end of the day, this really is the summation. If we walk by the Spirit, we will not be preoccupied with ourselves, Can we agree? If we walk by the Spirit, we won't, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. If we submit to the Spirit inside of us who's taking us to Jesus. That's what the Spirit's doing. That's what the helper is, the Spirit of truth. Then we will not be preoccupied, absorbed, consumed with ourselves. Well, I want to try to guide us through this next slide by shaping some thought. When you're preoccupied with yourself, it leads to some things, some things of which you can gauge tonight. Number one, when you're preoccupied with yourself, it leads to bitterness always, always. Deep-rooted bitterness Bitterness that leads to malice and slander of others. Bitterness that leads you to gossip. Bitterness that leads you deep within your heart to try to rally a crew around your cause. Hey, I can't believe so-and-so did that. Some of you have done that today. Your workplace, all of a sudden, boss did this, and you felt like because boss did that, that gave you the right to go to the employee who's a friend of yours and say, can you believe boss did that? I'm just saying, under gossip biblically, there's not exemptions of unless your boss is really ornery, unless your friend does this. There are zero exemptions. It's still slander. It's still malice. It's still gossip. But when you're self-consumed, when you're absorbed with yourself, when you're preoccupied with yourself, bitterness takes a deep root. Are you bitter tonight? Are you bitter? Is it possible for you that it's just one massive indicator of how self-absorbed you are? Number two, preoccupation with yourself leads, right? Pouting. Is anyone else sick and tired of pouting in your life and in the lives of others? 
And some of you are like, oh, I can't, yeah, I'm really sick and tired of this person next, next to me be pouting all day long, right? Well, okay, why don't, you, why don't you own your own pouting first? Well, we learn pouting at an early age. You don't get your way, you cry. The airplane isn't working to feed you, you cry, right? You lose your security blanket, you, you don't cry, you get over it, you kind of work through it, right? No, like, like pouting is just this natural way. I want control, I don't have it, I pout. I get quiet, I get consumed. With who? You! Listen, we pass off things like they're juvenile. Well, I can't believe they're pouting. Wake up and look in the mirror. Listen, when we're not in step with the Spirit, submitting to the Spirit, who is literally taking us to the person of Christ, one of those key indicators is your pouting. Like a two-year-old toddler. When you're preoccupied with yourself, it leads to this as well. Next slide. We associate lust most often with sexual sin, but I actually want to broaden the scope if we can. Uh, you see what happens with lust, and those of you who have ever lusted after uh, something, which my guess would be everyone in here, you know how lust works. Lust begins by promising a little so that you grab hard and then keep pursuing. That's how lust works. Lust like says, here, just, just taste a little bit. A little bit of the insecurity feeding. A little bit of the judgment. A little bit of the jealousy of someone else. A little bit of the pornography. A little, here, here it is. And then what lust does, because it never fulfills, is it just keeps over-promising and perpetually under-delivers. Making people so self-consumed that all they do and all they're living for is the next lust. It's why pornography for some of you has been so hard to shake. It's why the judgment of others has been so difficult to run away from. It's why the pursuit of the dollar has been so difficult to repent of and turn back to Christ. Because you're believing the lie that it's going to provide tomorrow. But my friends, preoccupation with yourself, this is one of the massive signs. Finally, preoccupied with yourself It leads to hatred. The scripture says that God is love. Jesus told the disciples, they will know me by love. The scripture has made clear that whoever says he loves God but hates his brother is a liar. Jesus said in Matthew 22, the greatest commandment is to love God and love people. So I think you can see that what the Spirit sealed in us is doing, claiming God's authority over life, is taking us constantly to the love of God. Just keep loving. Keep loving Him. Keep loving others. Bask in that love, which is why. Look deep within yourself. The hatred that some of you have grown against that one person who did that one thing. The unforgiveness that has led to bitterness, that has led to lust, 
Look deep within yourself, I'm asking. The hatred is a revealer of a preoccupation of yourself, an absorption, a self-consumption when the spirit within you is saying, let's go to Jesus. Let's run there. Let's go there. Let's submit to him. Let's bask in his glory. Well, all of that feels a little bit um, hopeless. Because I know some of you are looking at this and you're like, I'm pretty preoccupied. There's an unbelievable way that Paul ends the longest run-on sentence in his writing. Next slide. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The Spirit is the guarantee. The Greek word there means down payment. God makes a down payment, essentially. He says, here's the Spirit. That's me saying, you're mine. Until we acquire possession of it, this inheritance, to the praise of His glory. Now, next slide. Can you all please see for one second in unity what I see here? The preoccupation with ourself will thwart what the Spirit is taking us to. You see, one of the riches of His grace is the Spirit in us that pulls us out of ourself and instead takes us to what? Come on, praise. We're not preoccupied with the pursuits of the gratification of our flesh. Instead, we are all utterly consumed with praise. Our suffering doesn't deter praise. Our failed or flawed relationships won't and don't deter us from praise. The lies of the enemy won't and don't deter our praise. We lay down those things. We put down our lust. The things of the sinful nature that Galatians says are obvious. Those things get laid down, the preoccupation of ourselves, and instead, we are freed. Freed up, the bondage gone, and every person sealed with the Holy Spirit, able to enjoy the riches of praise. Now, here's what's happened. When I hear and say the word praise, all of you get uh, some sort of like mental understanding of what that must mean. Well, to truly praise God, sealed by the Spirit, He's going to take me to glorify Christ. To truly do that, it looks like this or that. What if tonight we just erased all those images? What if tonight some of the things you've been taught about what true praise looks like, we just said, nope, nope, nope. And what if tonight, listen, please, what if tonight together we united and we just prayed right now that the Spirit would take us to praise? 
Not what you think praise is. Not what I think praise is. Unified in the spirit of Christ. What if we just said spirit right now, right now, however you want to, take us to Jesus. Take us there. Help us not care what this person or that person thinks. Help us not be worried about how this person is going to speak about my expression. What if we just got rid of all of that? What if we laid down our insecurities? What if we confess, God, we're tired of being preoccupied by ourselves? And what if in power we submitted to the spirit inside of us, the guarantee of our inheritance, God's down payment of his ownership of us, and we said, spirit, come now and take us to Christ. Let's stand together. Come on. Are you guys ready to pray that with me? I'm asking, are you ready to pray that with me? You see, because what happens is the praise of God then becomes becomes all-consuming. Paul begins with, blessed be the name. He begins with praise and he ends with praise because he knows that believers consumed with praise of him, led there by the Spirit, will not gratify the desires of the flesh. God, you are capable to right now erase some of the bad thinking and doctrine and theology that has shaped our perspective of praise. And instead, you are capable through the unification of the spirit that you put in all of the believers in this room to just take us to yourself. God, right now, will you help us awe you right now? I pray that images flash through our mind about your greatness. I pray your spirit right now helps us grasp the depth and the width of your love. I pray that your spirit reminds us right now the truth that we stand not condemned. I pray the power of your Holy Spirit right now looses the grip of the enemy. God, will you help us encounter the Holy Spirit in a way tonight that maybe we never have? Could you help us encounter the reality of what you sealed us with? God, take us to the glory of your name through the power of the sealed Holy Spirit.